Welcome to The Buzz, I'm Christopher Conover. Young people may have to wait longer to purchase tobacco products in the city of Tucson. Councilman Paul Durham wants to change the law, but does it really prevent smoking? We'll talk with health researchers to find out. Last week was the annual Great American Smokeout, an effort to reduce smoking in the U.S. We began this discussion in August when Tucson City Councilman Paul Durham suggested the city raise the age to purchase tobacco from 18 to 21. This show originally aired only as a podcast, so now we bring it to you on the air. We began our discussion with Councilman Durham by asking him to explain his idea. Well, it's uh, pretty simple. Over 80% of high school seniors are 18 when they graduate. And these people and uh, younger, younger students buying tobacco illegally and tobacco products, including va- vaping products, are a pipeline into the high schools for nicotine. The adolescent brain is particularly susceptible to nicotine addiction. About 95% of long-term smokers report that they started before age 21. So if you cut that pipeline into the high schools, you can significantly reduce the number of people getting addicted to nicotine before at least 21. To clarify, are we talking about all tobacco products, or or I guess because we're talking about vaping, nicotine products, and are we talking about just buying, or are we talking about kids smoking a cigarette? No, no. There would be no enforcement, as I envision it, against uh, possession or a use. It would be only sale. What's the enforcement on the retailer who's selling illegally at that point, uh, if this goes through, to an 18-year-old, 19-year-old kid, let alone a 16-year-old? So there would be a series of uh, step-up fines, maybe, uh, first infraction, second infraction, third infraction, etc. obviously progressively higher, ending in, at some point, the suspension of their license to sell tobacco products. Is the thought to take that fine and use it on enforcement or use it for something particular, or does it just go into the general pot? The resolution that we passed unanimously at the city council would require the new policy be revenue neutral. So a combination of the fines and the um, tobacco license fee, which uh, every merchant who sells tobacco products is required to have, The current fee is $100 per year. So an increase in that plus the fines would require to equal the cost of enforcement. Let's have a hypothetical because this is only for the city of Tucson. We go to somewhere in your district, the corner of First and River. The Walgreens on the north corner is in the city. The gas station on the southern corner, kitty corner across from it's in the county. Does that just kind of defeat it? The kids walk across the street, basically, to the gas station to buy? The interesting thing there is the example of Needham, Massachusetts. Needham is a suburb of Boston. It's a very, very small jurisdiction. In many places, you can walk across the street uh, into a neighboring jurisdiction. They passed a Tobacco 21 policy. They cut down on the use of tobacco products by high school students by 50%. That's a significant cut. There's just not that much mobility 
among high school students, notwithstanding that you can drive at 16, it's still effective even in a very small jurisdiction. In a, in a city the size of Tucson, even more effective potentially. Now, don't get me wrong, the first choice would be for us to do this countywide. The second choice would be Tucson and other surrounding local jurisdictions. The third choice is Tucson only, but the council made clear that we're ready to go it alone. Have you talked with any officials at the county level, be it members of the Board of Supervisors or any of the cities and towns, Oro Valley, Marana, in the area, to see if they'd be interested in jumping on this? The direction to staff is to do just that. Have you heard back, uh, even through the grapevine, any members called you up and the, said the, anything? The process has only started. The staff hasn't acted on that yet. I know the legislature for the past two years has tried something similar statewide. Uh, this year it went 8-1. Bipartisan support it went 8-1 out of a committee. Never got beyond the committee. What do you think stalling it up at the legislature, and is it anything that you've learned, you know, taken as a lesson as you push it down here? No. Um, some in the state legislatures, maybe the governor might be opposed to it. I don't know. Yes, the first choice would be statewide. And six states have already banned it, including California and Oregon, Massachusetts. The age 21 policy applies to just under 30% of the U.S. population. I believe it will happen nationwide or maybe uh, among virtually all states eventually. We're talking with Tucson City Councilman Paul Durham about his proposal to raise the age to purchase tobacco and nicotine products from 18 to 21. We've had two communities here in Arizona already do this, uh, Cottonwood and Douglas. Douglas did it in 2017. How have they uh, done with this, do you know? You know, that's one area that I, I, I don't know about. I know that other cities... Uh, in the country have, have done it. I have uh, information from them. Chicago had a very significant reduction in uh, tobacco use by high school students. And you said uh, in Massachusetts, uh, 50%. So there, there is some precedent. Uh, not that Tucson isn't a leader sometimes, but in this case, we've got some precedent. Yeah, it will make a big difference. High school students know lots of seniors who are 18. If you can pass for 18 at age 16, maybe, 50% of high school sophomores, that's students age 15 and 16, report that tobacco and vaping products are easy to come by. If you raise the age to 21, that's outside the social circles of most high school students. So it has a dramatic effect. The legislature passed a few years ago Senate Bill 1487 that allows a member of the legislature to challenge a local law that they feel is in conflict with the state. Uh, we've had that happen in Tucson with gun buybacks. We've had it in uh, Bisbee with plastic bag bans. Are you worried at all that someone in the legislature, because it only takes no, one, no, is going to challenge no, back? No, federal law allows states and localities to set more stringent limits than the age 18. So uh, I, I, don't, I don't think it's a problem. What made you decide it's time for this in Tucson? I really want to help the schools cut the flow of tobacco products into the high schools. Uh, that's probably my main objective here. If we can do that, 
we can significantly reduce the number of people that become addicted to nicotine before age 21. You said revenue neutral. I'm sure someone will bring it up and maybe staff is looking at it. Is there any sort of a tax hit to the city? Do we get any of the the tobacco tax or is that a, a state loss and we're not worried about it? I believe that one of the requirements that we will need to meet is that it will be net revenue neutral to the city. Now, that said, we'll have significant health benefits. The um, cost of medical insurance will be moderated by that. Uh, so there are other benefits. There are other cost benefits. There are other financial benefits, but not directly to the city in terms of tax revenue. I, I also know uh, in the legislature, somebody brought up the military. And if a young man or young woman in their teens comes back from Afghanistan or somewhere, a member of the legislature was concerned that they might not be able to buy a pack of cigarettes, but now it's banned in basic training. So the argument, uh, some argued back, was moot. I don't want our soldiers to die any more from tobacco use than uh, anybody else. Since this came up in the city council and, and you and the council directed staff to start preparing you know, a, a more formal version of this, have you heard anything back from people who live in your ward, people who live in the city? Tremendous support. We did get a call from... Uh, lobbyist for the uh, vaping industry. Obviously, uh, they're kind of opposed to it. But at the same time, we got a letter of support from Juul, probably the biggest manufacturer of vaping products. So I have it right here. Juul doesn't want to sell their products to anyone under 21 either. That says a lot to me. When it comes to vaping, I know that not all the products have nicotine in them. If this were to go through, would a 19-year-old and 18-year-old be able to buy those products so long as they didn't have nicotine, or are we just banning vaping if you're under 21 in Tucson? It's got to have nicotine in it, but my understanding is that even products that say they don't have any nicotine have very small amounts. I know from my experience covering tobacco litigation back in the 90s, the argument from the tobacco industry was this is always just the nose under the tent. Next will be bans on other things. Respond to that argument that next the city council is going to try and ban something else. It's not just going to be tobacco. It will be further down. All I'm concerned about is raising the age for nicotine and tobacco products to 21. I don't, I don't have any other agenda. I don't have a, I don't have a long list of bans I'd like to do. <laughs> what's the timetable on this? You said staff's working on it now. What's What are our next steps? Staff has been directed to uh, work with the county health department, contact other surrounding jurisdictions, develop alternatives, ideas for enforcement, uh, how the ban might work, how the ban might be enforced, how the actual ordinance would read, and come back to council when they're done. I want them to do thorough work, and they will and uh, they'll come back to council when they're ready. All right. Well, thanks so much for sitting down with us to talk about this. You're welcome, Chris. That was Tucson City Councilman Paul Durham discussing his plan to raise the age to purchase tobacco from 18 to 21. So far, city staff has not come up with a draft ordinance, but we're told it could be on the table in the next two months. City officials are also talking with their counterparts at the Pima County Board of Supervisors to expand the idea countywide. 
This week, we're talking about a proposal to raise the age to purchase tobacco and nicotine products in the city of Tucson. Would that really make a difference in smoking rates? We asked Dr. Judith Gordon. She's a researcher who specializes in tobacco cessation at the University of Arizona's College of Nursing. She says it would. We know that policy is one of the most effective ways to reduce tobacco use. So by raising the age, you make two things happen. One is you make it more difficult for youth to access the product and then use it, but you also change the cultural norms around tobacco use. So young people will not see as many other young people smoking and therefore are less likely to smoke themselves. We've seen, at least anecdotally, I should say, we have seen a drop-off in the number of young people smoking, walking here to your office today across the University of Arizona campus. We didn't see anybody out smoking. Is that anecdotal, or is that actually what's happening? Numbers are dropping off amongst young people. That's actually what's happening. So tobacco use is at an all-time low among both adults and youth, and that's as a result of a variety of things that have gone on over time. So there have been policy changes over time, and there have been changes in terms of tobacco prevention that's gone on in the schools, and tobacco cessation that has gone on among adult populations. So over time, there has been money put towards this problem, and people have stopped using tobacco at the same rates that they used to. When it comes to tobacco cessation, you said policy is very effective, but what else is effective and what types of policies? I'm sure not every government policy passed has been effective. Right. Well, in terms of cessation, there's a global policy in terms of providing money towards cessation services. So cigarette taxes, part of that is funded is funding cessation services. So it's not just a punitive tax. If they are being funded towards, for example, tobacco quit lines and other forms of cessation services, then you're actually helping those people to quit smoking. What we know works in terms of cessation is there's not a one-size-fits-all approach. So some people need one-on-one intensive treatment for tobacco addiction. Other people can benefit from group treatment. Some people prefer to get their tobacco cessation done on the phone. Um, It makes for much easier access for those, and they can work with a quit coach one-on-one. We're lucky in Arizona in that the Arizona Smokers Helpline, or Ashline, also works with access and other providers of insurance to provide free nicotine replacement therapy for their their callers as well as behavioral counseling. Um, We know that the combination of behavioral coaching plus nicotine replacement is the most effective way to help people quit. There are also lots of other ways that people can can help be helped to quit. There are online programs that they can use. There are mobile apps that they can download on their phone and use. So no matter where you are or what you do, there's a program that can work for you. When it comes to starting, picking up that first cigarette and then the second and the third and on and on, is it the case that the younger you start, 
the more likely you are to continue? Or is it the case that once you get through that first pack, you're probably going to continue no matter your age? Right. So the we do know that the younger you start, the more likely you are to go on to become a regular smoker over time. And we do know that nicotine changes the way the brain works. And the younger you are when you start to use nicotine, the more elastic your brain is. And so if you're using nicotine at a younger age, it is making more changes more quickly um, on the young adolescent brain. And therefore, that has a very long-term impact on addiction. We're, you keep talking about using nicotine, and I keep saying smoking. <laughs> so, so let's pause for a moment uh, with that. And are we talking about the same thing when you say using nicotine? Are you also talking about chewing tobacco and other forms, um, or are we just talking about smoking and calling it two different things? Right. So nicotine is nicotine, no matter what product it's being delivered by. So it can be delivered by smoking a conventional cigarette. It can be delivered by smoking a cigar. It can be delivered by using chewing tobacco. It can be used. It can be implemented in your system by vaping, using e-cigarettes or juuling or other types of vaping products. There are very many of those. Um, nicotine can be applied with a patch or a lozenge as a cessation device. So nicotine is nicotine, uh, no matter how you get it but it is administered in a variety of different ways. And as a tobacco researcher, I refer to nicotine and nicotine addiction because it's the addictive quality of nicotine that is of the greatest concern, especially when we're talking about youth. When we started talking, we were talking about cigarettes and we were commenting that we don't see kids as you walk across the University of Arizona campus or hanging out just outside the fence at a high school, you know, congregated smoking anymore, but we do see a lot of vaping. Has one replaced the other? Among youth, yes. So smoking is at an all-time low among youth. However, vaping has surpassed that of smoking. So youth are uh, about twice as likely now to vape as they are to smoke conventional cigarettes. And I would assume equally as addictive? Yes. Nicotine is nicotine no matter what form you get it in. So it's, it's just as addictive. There is a lot of um, debate about whether vaping is less harmful than smoking. And I think the consensus is that it probably is safer so vaping is probably safer than smoking. However, it doesn't mean it's safe. It's also very early days in terms of what we know about vaping. So cigarette smoking has gone on for decades, and we know the trajectory of health effects of cigarettes over those many decades. People have only been vaping for about 10 years, and it's only been very popular over the last five years. We don't know what the long-term health effects of vaping are. We do know there are some short-term health effects, particularly respiratory effects, but we really at this point do not know what the long-term health effects are. So we're concerned that particularly young people will think that vaping is safe and start vaping and then become addicted to nicotine. We also know that kids who start vaping are much more likely to go on to use 
conventional cigarettes. So that's another reason to try to keep kids from starting to vape. We continue our conversation with Dr. Judith Gordon, a University of Arizona College of Nursing researcher who specializes in smoking cessation programs. Back in the 90s when there was a lot of tobacco litigation going on, there was a lot of talk about Joe Camel and the Marlboro Man and, and all the images that were, were targeting kids. That has stopped. Um, do we still see the tobacco industry trying to target kids in the same way? Have they just gotten rid of Joe Camel and replaced Joe Camel with something else? Uh, or is that just not the way they market anymore to kids? Right. Well, the tobacco industry is still marketing, um, and they are marketing to everyone, including kids. Uh, they particularly market in uh, places where kids are likely to be found, like convenience stores where they sell cigarettes. So, you know, the, the tobacco industry has not stopped marketing their products um, but what we are seeing now is a lot of marketing to youth around vaping. So they're, the vaping industry um, and, uh, and many, many vaping products are owned by big tobacco companies as well. And they seem to be taking a page out of the playbook of, you know, 20 years ago where they're trying to make vaping look cool and fun and hip and trying to make that the norm now um, to make kids want to, to vape. We don't have ads yet that are doctors saying uh, vaping is healthy <laughs> as we used to with cigarettes right. in, the, in the 50s. Right. But they're st making it try look hip and cool. How does the U.S. compare to other nations? Um, as you said, there's been a lot of policy, especially since all the tobacco litigation in the 90s. Um, how do we compare smoking or nicotine use levels compared to the rest of the world? Uh, it's very varied, depending on the part of the world that you're talking about. So we compare f favorably to, for example, Eastern European countries where tobacco use is still very high. Um, there are other countries where Australia, for example, is making great strides around tobacco use. And um, there are certain countries in European countries, particularly, uh, for example, the, the Nordic countries, they use a lot of smokeless tobacco there, but it's a different kind of smokeless tobacco they use there. And there they find um, that people smoke less and they use their version of smokeless tobacco more than we do here. Um, there are a lot of countries that are promoting vaping much more so than we do here in the United States. So it's extremely varied. Um, uh, the tobacco industry is definitely targeting Asia now as a very large market. Um, and so the tobacco use rates in Asia are much higher than they are here in the United States, uh, especially among males. When it comes to laws like the one Tucson is thinking about, raising the smoking age to 21, I know there are other places in the country and even Arizona that have already done this. Is it too soon to tell what effect they have had, or how, can we see a change? In many places, it's too soon to tell because it's just happened. Um, but in places where there have been these policies or laws in effect um, for longer periods of time, 
they are part of this greater uh, trend that we're seeing in lower tobacco use rates. When it comes to nicotine addiction, if I can't buy my tobacco because I'm under 21 in the city of Tucson, am I more likely to stop or just cross the line into the county uh, to buy it? I guess, how strong an addiction is it? How far are people willing to go to get it? Right. So again, what we can say is that the tobacco policies, for example, that have raised the price of cigarettes greatly, we've seen that all across the country, but New York and California are were some of the trailblazers around that. We saw immediate decreases in tobacco use, especially among youth. So if if they're not willing to go someplace, you know, New York, if they're not willing to go to New Jersey where it's cheaper to buy it, then we're talking about a very similar phenomenon where if you can't get it in Arizona, are you going to go over to New Mexico to buy it or not? Youth generally will say that's too difficult to do, and they're more likely to stop using than to travel that distance. What have we missed when it comes to, I know you've made a career of it, so we've missed a lot, but what have we missed when it when it comes to tobacco cessation and and effectiveness of various programs? Well, what we see now is that the majority of smokers are people of what we call low socioeconomic status. So these are people with lower educational attainment and thus lower incomes, and they tend to be more rural. So these are people who have less access to tobacco cessation services. They have less access to healthcare in general. They're living under a lot more stress and strain. They're living under financial strain. And so that's the group of people who are more, most likely to use tobacco right now. They're the people who have the least access to assistance and the most stress in their lives. And so those are the people that those of us in the in the tobacco cessation community are really trying to reach out to and to provide assistance to now. Well, thank you for sitting down with us. Thank you. That was University of Arizona researcher Judith Gordon talking about tobacco cessation. And that's the buzz for this week. Zach Ziegler and Ariana Brocious produced and edited the show. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer, and Andrea Kelly is the news director. Our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.